Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion and fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we It's our Western Swing warm-up show talking about Denver with Kevin McKenna and also Tony Pedregon. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. The most hotly anticipated three-race stretch of the entire 2022 NHRA season. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip and at the finish line stripe it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. It marks a victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here, back again with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast after a brief summer respite where a lot of the teams and racers kind of shot off on family vacations or went and did different things, and certainly a lot of preparation work has been done as teams are now rocketing their way as quickly as they can in their diesel trucks towards Denver, Colorado, specifically Morrison, Colorado, and Bandemir Speedway, home for the Dodge Power Brokers NHRA Mile High Nationals. It will be a great weekend, the same type of challenging weekend that we expect every time we go to Denver, the same type of perhaps upset-laden weekend we see every time we travel to Denver. One need look no further back than just last year when Joey Haas made the final round in Top Fuel driving Terry Totten's car. The car will incidentally be there this year, but Terry will be driving it for himself. Uh, It has been an eventful week of NHRA news. Uh, The biggest news coming out, of course, was the uh, announcement of what next year's first four races will look like. And it's a new look for the first four races of the NHRA schedule, uh, made for a couple of different reasons, logistics being perhaps the biggest one. The season will open in March with the NHRA Amelie Oil Gator Nationals, and that will be the kickoff race of the entire 2023 season. It will then proceed west, where there will be a southwestern swing, where Phoenix will be followed by Pomona. Yes, Pomona will be the third race of the season, and it'll, that will be followed by Las Vegas. So the teams will make one uh, sweeping arc of a trip west, as opposed to pinballing their way back and forth across the country, starting with Phoenix and Pomona, driving to Florida, and then driving westward back to Las Vegas, only to return back towards the eastern half of the country, as has been done for several years. Uh, we can talk about all different types of reasons for that, but you know, fuel prices, who knows uh, if and when they will abate. Uh, hopefully they will sooner rather than later, but I think the schedule makers certainly trying to uh, make things more efficient for the operations of the teams, and it's going to be interesting. I think also, you know, in a way, moving that... Um, Moving that February date off of Pomona, which you know to some people certainly uh, comes across as sacrilege, but in a realistic point of view, you have a lot of stuff going on in the in the Los Angeles area during that time. Um, whether we're talking about the Super Bowl, the LA Coliseum race that uh, NASCAR has said they're going to put on again in 2023, uh, various other things happening. So. Moving it to a bit of a more free, open spot uh, maybe allows more folks to get in the grandstands at Auto Club Raceway Pomona. And um, either way, it's going to be fast and fun as it always is. And somebody already posed the question: Is it still winter time in March in Pomona? And uh, it pretty much is everywhere else in the world. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna leave it at that as far as that goes. Of course, Phoenix uh, being the second race of the season that's in its normal spot you know it's kind of the hinge in the door so to speak and vegas falls kind of in its normal spot as being the fourth race of the year uh just the order has been changed in order to uh you know make sure the teams get a little bit more bang for the buck and miles per gallon i guess we'll say or gallons per dollar or however you want to phrase that out 
uh, it has been uh, it has been interesting to watch what's gone on so far. And and you know, there's been other news in the world of NHRA drag racing: the passing of Royce Freeman Sr., the patriarch of the Freeman family, a guy who got them drag racing of the Freeman name in drag racing in the early '70s, competing in sportsman categories and being an early competitor in pro stock, both in the uh, NHRA and AHRA sanctions. Uh, Royce Freeman Sr. really was a, a great guy, certainly. Um, among the most gregarious kind of, you know, team guys out there, he, in a way, kind of a, a Mama K on the pro stock side, meaning that uh, he was kind of the heart and soul of the team, and and they raced for him, and he celebrated as hard and as as happily as anybody else when the Elite Motorsports team collected victories. So there is a, a celebration of life for him happening this week, and not that Eric Anders uh, ever needs more motivation. Uh, nor has she shown the need for any motivation so far in 2022, but uh, they will be racing certainly with their minds fixated on honoring the memory of Royce Freeman Sr. this weekend in Denver, and that will be uh, an emotional thing to watch for that operation. We see Cameron Caruso has signed a new sponsorship with Tequila Commissario for the next five races. That is going to be carrying her through the Western Swing, through Brainerd, Minnesota, and Topeka, Kansas, uh, which is great. Actually, I believe it's it's Denver, Sonoma, Seattle, Topeka, and the U.S. Nationals. Those are the five races that um, that will be involved in that new sponsorship for her. Uh, Jordan Vandergriff made his debut on The Bachelorette, and there is some um, interesting murmurs about what may be in his future coming up at the end of ending part of this season, I, I, my understanding is loosely the goal being Charlotte, but um, if if the things that I've heard come to fruition, it's going to be a big story involving Jordan Vandergriff, and uh, hopefully they do come to fruition, and, and hopefully they come to the, the timeline that everybody involved wants. But uh, Jordan is a, a certainly a guy that we all want to see back out there again, and this opportunity of, of him... Um, on the Bachelorette, as wild as it seems, is a pretty neat deal. Remember, Joe Namath, I think, was on the dating game back in the day, so I guess maybe this is the modern version of that. The more cars, the more people, the more young drivers we have out there, certainly the better. When we talk about Denver this weekend, we're going to talk about hot temperatures. Now, qualifying Friday evening at about 9 o'clock when we get to the fuel cars, uh, we'll place them in the best conditions of, of their weekend. Uh, 8 o'clock session on Friday night for the Pro Stockers, and then that moves us into the fuel category. So that's going to be fun to watch. Two sessions Friday, two sessions Saturday. And there was some question by people like, why are some of these races three qualifying sessions? Why are some of these races four qualifying sessions? And some of the track operators committed committed to saying we want the four sessions there is a a purse differential when you win a race with four qualifying sessions it pays more money and that means that it changes the financials for the racetrack it changes the you know the split so to speak and so there are tracks that said we want it we want the four sessions we want our fans having four sessions we feel like that's a benefit Bandemir Speedway was one of them. Of course, Norwalk was another, and uh, there will be some more over the course of this back half of the 2022 season as well. And basically, uh, we saw the difference in Norwalk. You know, we don't necessarily have the car counts in Denver that we did in Norwalk, so it isn't a situation that necessarily we're going to have as more bumping, but what we're going to have is more realignment of those fields as we go through. There is a bump spot in Top Fuel, and when we get into our conversation with Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedregon in a few minutes, uh, one of the questions that I, we're going to try to delve into are the four interesting names in Top Fuel that will be not necessarily even vying for the number 16 spot. There are so many variables to running at Denver, 
and you have four good cars in Alex Laughlin, Greg Carrillo, Terry Totten, and Rob Passy. So I'm not even saying they're vying for 16. I'm saying they're vying for somewhere between, I'm going to say 9 and 14, 9 and 15. So, you know, there's an excellent chance we could see a, a larger, uh, bigger name sitting on the outside by the time the, the story of top fuel qualifying is sealed when we get to Saturday night. It is going to be... Um, a great three-race stretch. The Western Swing always provides us the Denver altitude, then it provides us that awesome Sonoma air that is so fast, and then we go to Seattle for the first time since 2019 to race uh, among the evergreens up there at the Flavor Pack Northwest Nationals. So there is not a whole lot more to be said, so I'd like to, I guess, transition into our conversation, and it's always great to catch up with, uh, with these two guys, two guys who know of what they speak and perhaps speak of what they know. So without further ado, I welcome my two guests onto this pre-Denver, pre-Western Swing show, Kevin McKenna of National Dragster and Tony Pedragon, my right-hand man on the broadcast. Gentlemen, welcome. Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. Tony, how are you? Good, good. Thanks. So I want to open this uh, little discussion here with uh, obviously big news that Steve Torrance for the second time in his career has been nominated for the Driver of the Year ESPY. And, you know, Tony, from your perspective, you know, I think this is obviously a very cool thing. Drag racers don't necessarily make it into the nomination every year, but when we do, it's pretty neat. It's certainly good for the sport. Yeah, and I think that's a big compliment to Steve, uh, his crew chief, Richard Hogan, and the whole team. You know, I, I think in our sport, you know, there's, there's always going to, be that argument is it the car is it the driver it seems like you know it seems like road racing indy car racing open wheel nascar you know it's sometimes it's the car and sometimes it's the driver i think that same thing applies in our sport but there's no question you know what they've done over the last several years but i, I think for a driver that's one of the ultimate compliments you know of course winning a championship uh, but there's a lot of prestige that that goes along with that. Uh, when you look at the lineup of drivers that he's been nominated with, uh, I know there are very few drivers in our sport that have been part of that, you know, that small group. So I think that's great for Steve. Of course, uh, I voted for him. And, um, you know, if it comes down to a popula- popularity contest, which is really what it is, uh, unfortunately, there are a lot more fans than other racing series. So, uh, but I think to be nominated, to be in the running, is is a great thing, and I think it's well deserved. How about you, Kevin? Uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with with everything that, that Tony just said, uh, specifically the part about the popularity contest, and and that's sort of the sad thing. Uh, obviously, Steve Torrance is very deserving of this award, but previously you've had people like Erica Enders, Tony Schumacher, in one of his most dominant seasons. They've already been nominated, and a drag racer never, ever seems to win it. And, and it just kind of becomes like, you know, Lucy pulling the football away from poor Charlie Brown. <laughs> you know, we, we get the bait and switch every year. And, again, I think Tony pegged it that maybe the voters, maybe the people at ESPN don't recognize the amount of talent that it takes to do uh, what Steve Torrance has done here the last few years. Uh, it, it, it's sad. I mean, I hope one year we break through that and, and, and there's sort of a – um, you know, an, an awakening where, where people see uh, just what it took to get to that level. But, uh, you know, I, I don't like being a pessimist, but, um, you know, hopefully one of these days I'll be surprised. Sometimes, Kevin, there's a fine line between realist and pessimist, and you're walking it right now, but it is. It's it's, it's a realistic <laughs> it's a realistic take. And, and, you know, Formula One, with the global reach that the sport has, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to think 
that anybody but but Max Verstappen is going to win this thing. But uh, again, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, you know, we got Bob Bodie. Bob Bodie won a funny car race one time. So I mean, there's <laughs> there's always a chance. So well, sure, and, and, and you look you look at the, the the politics here. You know, this is an ESPN award, which network just bid many many millions <laughs> for the rights to Formula One. Uh, Mike, you want to see it, Nice. Uh, that's not a conspiracy. That's fact. <laughs> so. <laughs> so let's let's move into the Denver chat here, and and obviously this is a one-off race for everybody in terms of uh, its mechanical challenges. In terms of even, I mean, the physical challenges on Sunday of this weekend are, are projected to be ninety-four degrees somewhere in that uh, area. So it is going to be a grueling test of of everybody from the crew guys all the way up through the drivers to make sure they stay on top of the game over the course of a race day. Um, you know, this is a race that is clearly scary to many people as the car counts. We get a full field in top fuel. I think we're short one in pro stock, one or two in pro stock motors or rather in pro stock motorcycle and, and in funny car. So it is an intimidating place to go racing. But I want to start with pro stock motorcycle and, and specifically with Vance and Hines, Kevin, because obviously Vance and Hines over the years has, you know, built specific engines to come to this race. But now with the Suzuki program, do you have any insight as to what they're doing differently, if anything? Uh, for, for this race specifically, no. Um, but but I think you can look back to Norwalk, where they appeared to have solved a lot of their problems, and that was something that Eddie Krawick actually said numerous times that they, you know, they've been playing with the tune-up, trying to find the sweet spot, and he felt like uh, they really pegged it, and obviously that showed with Eddie being the low qualifier on Joe winning the race. So I think they're pretty confident with the package that they're bringing there. But then I also hear that. Matt Smith has dusted off his uh, trusty Buell V-Twin to go up there. So that could potentially be a game changer uh, as far as that's concerned. And do you feel like the the, the V-Twin decision from Smith, I'm not saying it's made out of desperation, but clearly he doesn't have anywhere near the the book of information he has um, with the the four-cylinder than he does with that V-Twin. So it seems a pragmatic decision, but it also seems a little bit uh, like he's playing off his back foot here. Uh, I believe that uh, it's just pretty well known that uh, with the thin air that the, the twins, you know, with their extra cubic inches, are, it's just it's just a more competitive package, and I think you'll see that. Uh, well, we have seen it historically. You know, Hector Arana went up there and, uh, you know, set the track record a couple times. Uh, I, I think you'll see Matt and Angie Smith with – it would surprise me if they're not both in the top three or four qualifiers. You know, Tony, as we stick with the Pro Stock Motorcycle discussion, it's a four-qualifying session race, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch really how this thing, uh, how people actually kind of hone in on, on how quick they can go over the course of the four qualifiers versus our typical three. Yeah, I think that's, that's helpful for all any of the pro cars. Um, but when you talk about Matt Smith, I mean, look, you look at it, this, there's another way you know, to break this down. I mean, he's been accumulating data at sea level for that, that uh, four valve Suzuki and he's got a playbook, a proven playbook that he can go to for Denver. So I, that makes a lot of sense to me, but um, you know, I, I just, you know, unfortunately for the bikes as well as the pro stock cars, you know, you look at the nitro cars, they can make up a lot of the difference, especially when you go back, you know, maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago, they, they didn't even get close. You know, they had a, a engine program and, and they did all the things mechanically to it and they were still down on power, but they would, bring this uh, this precious metal called uh, Mallory and they would hang it on the clutch and that's how you would make up the difference. You'd pretty much run the, the car on clutch 
and it would still go quick but now they have both they have a lot more power they have you know i'm sure they're going to sprinkle some primary weight some lockup weight but you know the bikes it's it's all about gearing for the bikes as well as the pro stock cars but the four sessions are going to help uh, definitely help both of them i think there's a couple of fascinating angles in pro stock car and and one of them of course uh we start with this one camry caruso with the titan racing engines power uh, of course we've said it a million times but formerly gray motorsports um I would assume they're going back to basically a Tanner Gray style of, of logbook to try to figure out how to go fast up on the hill, Kevin. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe Shane Gray uh, still has the track record up there. He does. Um, yeah, so so that's uh, uh, going to be very interesting to, to see. Um, the, the only thing that maybe is a little bit of a concern, I mean, obviously Camry has, has overachieved this year, I think, as far as her driving. I think she's impressed all of us, but you almost have to relearn yeah. when you go to Denver. Everything happens so much slower. The shifts, and I don't think it's as easy as people would think. Uh, well, it's, you know, you think it would be difficult to speed up, not so difficult to slow down. But I think once you've kind of got that rhythm down, it maybe takes at least a couple of runs to adjust. But then again, I also know they tested up there, so that's probably a big plus. Oh, that's a huge plus. Yeah, because if she was coming in blind, that was one of the things I think uh, we're all going to pay attention to if she was, like, short-shifting that car earlier or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But now if, if she's actually made some runs up there, that is uh, that is definitely a game-changer. You know, Tony, the other side of the, the pro stock storyline for me is Erica Enders, if there's one piece of kryptonite in her career, it seems to be the Western Swing. She's won one race in her career in the Western Swing, and that was 2012 in Seattle. The way things have been going this year for, it seems like this may be the year to, to kind of turn the tide on that. Yeah, you know, and I, I, hey, she's doing a good job. She's she's in a nice little groove as a driver. The car, I'm not even going to say it's been the best car. I mean, they've had the best car at a handful of races, but so has Greg Anderson and, and Aaron Sanfield's had a good car. Uh, but when you, you go back uh, to the last race, a few races prior to that, it really comes down to pivotal races pivotal rounds where you know she could have been beat but nobody has capitalized i i think that at some point someone is going to rise to the occasion i know matt hartford came pretty close um but that's what it's going to take i think it's just going to take somebody uh to time it right and to catch her one of those moments and you know she just you know she's not that bad she's not a bad driver she's not that inconsistent so she really doesn't give you much, but it's really going to be up to one of these. I think that's more of a coincidence than, any, than anything. I mean, they, they're going to make just as much power. I'm sure they're going to be qualified in the top five. And if you see her name in the top five, well, <laughs> you know, I, I wish I wish her, her the competition luck. <laughs> Kevin, uh, how much do you have your fingers crossed to see a uh, Erica Hartford either round one, two, three, or four? Uh, that, that, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they might surprise us all and play it straight and and just, but probably not. Um, Yeah. I think that, that would be amazing. Uh, But, but I also think going back to pro stock, you need to look, you know, Greg Anderson has won the last two times we've been there. Yeah. Um, And and, and I know it's been a couple of years, but the KB team has historically had that place figured out. Uh, so, So you've kind of got the balance between Erica's dominant season where it's almost impossible to bet against her, but you know, as Tony pointed out, they, they tend to struggle a little bit on the swing where Greg Anderson excels. So let, let's see, something's got to give here, and uh, 
not not exactly sure what it's going to be. You know, and, and to that point that Kevin just brought up, Tony, for multiple, I would almost say near the majority of races this year, KB Racing has seemed to have had uh, basically – 1,319 feet and five inches of the racetrack figured out. It's just been about the first seven inches getting through those the quickest that have been their problem. Yeah, and that's, you know, that it, it, it's not going to go away by itself. I mean, Kyle has had a good car. Um, you know, I, it's just driver, you know, it's, it falls on the driver's shoulders. Uh, you know, I, I think um, everybody wants a good car, and then when they have it, they, they've got to, you know, they've got to be able to, to pull it off for the team. Um, and I, you go back to the last race, and I was watching the way that Kyle staged the car, and he rolled the car in deep. So I think that he his reaction time was was what he had. It was a natural reaction. Yeah. Had he not rolled the car in, he would have had a, a double O something, maybe something in the teens that would have advanced him into the final round. So, you know, there's a good balance there. I think that some drivers have a tendency to do that just to build their confidence, to, to get them, hey, maybe sneak them by around. But, you know, that was an occasion that it, you know, it worked, it kind of backfired on them. But, uh, you know, Dallas Glenn seems to be the best lever. He has the quickest uh, reflexes yeah. in that KB team, but he really doesn't have the best car. So, you know, some of those drivers, they've had a couple of weeks to, you know, to, to, to sit on it. And, um, you know, they've, they've got it. That's where they've got to fix it. I'm sure that Greg, Greg's thinking about that. I know it's frustrating as a driver. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure he's going to turn it around. It hasn't happened. It's happened a lot where he's gotten beat on hole shots. But, you know, that's the name of the game in pro stock. You know, Tony, let's stick with you. We'll talk funny car. And, and one of the things I was thinking about during our break is, you know, coming into this race, we talk about the thin air as regarding horsepower, but it really does have a fairly uh, significant effect aerodynamically and how a funny car works. So are the Toyotas at a disadvantage for having what I assume what I assume is no data and running this car in thin air? And, and give us your perspective as a driver about how things change inside a funny car uh, at this place versus anywhere else. Well, you have two things that are going to be fighting, um, the temperature on the racetrack and the thin air. So that that's going to affect the traction. And, you know, the, the chain reaction is, you know, of course, the, the downforce provides traction. And, and they're going to have a lack of both, not necessarily off the starting line. So the, you have that two-stage cooling system, which is really helpful with this kind of forecast. Um, but once you get off of those coolers, uh, you do you the car has some momentum uh, so it is up to speed but you, you still it, it you know clutch management power management is still going to be the trick but I, I don't think it's going to hurt them I, I think when they designed that car based on uh, the numbers that that um, you know that they saw in the wind tunnel I think it's just a matter of of jacking up the rear wing you don't see it a lot you know with especially with the way the bodies are designed yeah. and that that applies to the Ford, the Chevy, the Dodge, as well as the Toyota. If you look at the rear deck lid, the, the whole thing is, is literally a wedge now. And it used to be we'd jack the spoilers up quite a bit. You really don't see it, even in the hot conditions. I, I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think whatever wickers they have, they're going to max them out uh, to start, especially when it gets hot on the racetrack. But uh, I, I just from what we've seen with the Toyotas, and I think Ron Capps, really prove that you know i think that uh jr todd was really struggling even alexis they've turned it around they have their performance back and you know ron caps they didn't have a lot of data on that car and and it just it was just a matter of a couple of races before they you know pounded out a couple of pretty impressive wins so i think all four designs are going to be 
um, you know, pretty equal. Yeah, I remember Austin Coyle, when I worked for Forrest, he always used to tell me that it takes a lot of arrow to see any difference on the racetrack. So I think what we're going to see on the track is mostly gonna, going to take place at the power level and in the bell housing. It makes sense. And, you know, kind of staying on this funny car topic, Kevin, when we talk about Bandemir, you know, John Force has had a, a effectively a, what, four or five decade relationship with the Bandemir family, loves this place. He won race 149 at Bandemir Speedway. So to me, if there's a guy that, if there's a guy that isn't necessarily a wild card because obviously the car is competitive, but has been a little bit off the last couple of races, it's probably John. Yeah, that, that's certainly true. And I think if you're looking for somebody to break up uh, sort of the, the trio of Ron Caps, Matt Hagen, and Robert Hyde that have done most of the winning this year, uh, John would probably be your best bet. Um, but then you also have to look at the, the unique uh, situation there in, in Brainerd with the thin air, the hot temperature. Uh, does that maybe favor someone like a Tim Wilkerson that's kind of built their reputation around being able to get down a, a hot racetrack? Um Really, I think as far as for any of the four pro classes, Funny Car seems to me like it's the most wide open. And and, and honestly, given that place's reputation for upsets, you could almost make a case for any one of the 15 cars going the distance. Yeah, that's a fact. And and it's been, you know, as much as it has been kind of a three-man headlining act this year, there has been a lot of good stuff happening in that uh, basically four through ten area. So there is a lot of unpredictability there. Um, we look at the top fuel category and – you know, I think there's there's two big question marks for me. One, you have Leah, who has won at this racetrack before. It's the sponsored race. I think this is a place that she does find whatever she finds. She finds something here in Denver. And, and two, you got Torrance, who, you know, we're waiting for the first win of the season. So, you know, Tony, when we look at other drivers who may be kind of headlining this weekend, do you still put your money on a Force and a Salinas? Or do you look at that Torrance, Leah, or even a Coletta car? I, I think that Mike Salinas has entered a zone that he is that's going to be new to him. And you know, racers always feel pressure, but you know, there's there's a few different types of pressures. Uh, now Mike Salinas is leading the points. He's had a couple of weeks to think about it, um, and I'm not saying he's going he's going to, but the tendency is um, the pattern that I've seen a lot of drivers have is hey, when they get when they when they're the ones that are that get these other drivers, they're going to fire shots at them especially on the starting line, um, you know, drivers with, without a lot of experience in those uh, circumstances, they tend to get a little tight. You know, it's like, why, why do some drivers have good reaction times in the first, second, and third round? Um, and, and, you know, we saw it with Sean Langdon and Justin Ashley. You know, that's pressure. That's all it is. Both of them are in the final. They're both quick. They're among the quickest in the class. But why on earth are they having 70 and 80 reaction times in the final or 70, 70 reaction times? Because there's pressure, baby, and that's what it does to people. Now, Mike Salinas not, might be able to deal with it, but it is it, he's an uncharted uncharted territory being going into these, these next three races, going into Denver as the points leader. And I'm still going to put my money on Steve Torrance. You know, I know that he's – been asked you know what's wrong is i don't think there's anything wrong i can't believe he's, he's being asked these questions uh it's not easy to win the competition is good he's going to win um and i still think at some point that doug coletta is going to get there and i think that they are going to challenge the salinas's Brittany still has uh among the best cars but you got a sharpshoot you got a shoe shine on that starting line so uh i if i had to rank someone i would say that steve's 
a win waiting to happen, and I would say Doug Collette is probably number two. Yeah, I mean, Coletta's car has gotten measurably better. Like, I was looking at kind of the trend over the course of the season and, and every aspect of what they have done over the last four to five races. His average reaction time has come down significantly. Their average GT on Sunday has come down significantly. Now, obviously, the round wins haven't necessarily stacked up, but it does seem like kind of a forward plotting progress for them. And obviously, we know the Langdon's car has been the better of the two, and, and he's not looking too bad uh, right now, seventh in the points. But, you know, Kevin, for you, we have Greg Carrillo, Rob Passy, Terry Totten, and Alex Laughlin is kind of our four invaders, if you will, the uh, the infrequent competitors coming out this weekend. And there are 17 cars. And so when I look at those four names, I'm almost going to say all four of them have an equal shot to get in. Totten's car went to the final last year in one of the wildest days we saw. Laughlin's driving the, the car owned by... Um, Scott Palmer, of course. Greg Carrillo's car runs well when it shows up. And Rob Passy's uh, program has been revitalized by the likes of, of Johnny West. So of those four, which one's getting in or maybe is somebody else getting out? Uh, I, I actually like all four of them. Uh, just when you look historically, Denver is the place for upsets. Um, I mean, there, there's no reason to think one of those cars couldn't make the final because that's the sort of thing that seems to happen there. Eddie Hill back and, in the, the day, same, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, well, even even Joey Haas last year, yeah, you know, so, some crazy stuff. Um, so to that end, uh, you have every reason to think that maybe one of the tour regulars struggles up there. And, you know, I, I realize there's four sessions, so that's probably the saving grace for someone. But it would not be the biggest surprise in the world if a top 10 car was uh, sitting on the outside come Saturday night. Uh, it just that, that's the kind of weird stuff that seems to happen there. No, it really does. And that's, again, what makes this race, I think, uh, an intimidating place for people. And it's funny because, you know, we see cars that we've seen a lot of this year avoiding this this race on the hill, Tony. And yet we see four independent racers kind of running like their hair is on fire to get there and compete. So it does speak a lot to either people's level of bravery or their level of uh, scaredy catedness of the atmosphere. Well, Brian, there's a couple of reasons. Um, you know, so there's a lot of work that goes into preparing for Denver. Um, and logistically, it's tough to get to. And but you know, the other thing is, is it, you know, it's such a big race for our sport. And and if you think about it, uh, you know, the demographics of it, um, it it's an important market. Uh, but also, it's it's one of the better races that oh, yeah. you can compete at. You know, so it has so many things going for it. So. I've never, I've never quite understood why. Hey, if you can't go, you can't go. Okay, we get it, but you know, don't knock it because you know it's it's not just about you know race and having to make all these changes. I mean, look at the impact that it has, and um, I, I just I think there's so much work that goes into it, and then and then you go from one extreme to the other. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but what was it? Yeah, what was it? I got off track there. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think that speaks to it. I think I think that it is the mentality of of going up there to try to succeed, or not going up there because you're afraid to try it, or or un, unwilling, if you will, to make the necessary adjustments. And Tony, I guess for a guy like for a guy like Terry Totten, who doesn't run every race, does Terry Totten actually show up there with a different package, or does Terry Totten run virtually the same package that he runs elsewhere because of the fact that the car doesn't see that much track time? Well, you know, we talked earlier and I mentioned that, you know, it was a while back that, you know, cars used to go up there and they'd really load their engine up because you can't, you're not going to make the power that yeah. you, you, you're not even going to get close at sea level. But for a guy like Terry, I don't think he's going to the extreme that some teams, I yeah. mean, some teams have 
different connecting rods. They've got uh, different pistons, and they're making you know the gasket change. They're uh, they're putting ten gaskets, but you know there's there's a few you know standard things that that all the teams are going to do. Even I'm sure Totten can really do what they were doing you know 12, 15 years ago. Going to put a lot of timing in it. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna bust out the pulleys that you never run to shove a lot more air in it because you have to make it up mechanically and you're gonna put the thinnest gas that you can and I mean if you do those things uh, you know he his car will get down the track you know it's it's it um, I'm sure he's gonna put a lot of weight on the clutch but you know those are pretty much the go-to things that everyone used to do but you know they started getting a little more uh, elaborate just looking for you know, all of these, um, you know, other competitive edges that they could find mechanically. So, um, you know, it's still, if you can't make the power, throw some clutch on it. it you know, nitromethane, it does amazing things. So, uh, you know, whether you're one of the bigger teams, if you're one of the smaller teams, there's still a good way to attack, you know, these overall conditions. The only downside of having Terry in his car this year is that we won't be able to see him leaning on it as it was idling. Remember that when they were running Milliken, they started the thing and he was just leaning on it like it was like it was a fence post. That was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's classic with that. With the, I don't know if I don't remember if he had a cigarette sticking out of his mouth, but <laughs> it was such a classic image. All right, so one last question for both you guys, and I will pose the same question uh, starting with Kevin. Who needs it worse this point in the year, Antron Brown or Tony Schumacher? Who needs something? significant to happen for themselves Antron or Tony mm. All right, they're both outside the top 10 uh, I, I, I know you don't want me to declare this a tie so uh, <laughs> I, I will say Antron uh, you know I think Antron this year probably had higher expectations with his own team with, with putting the band back together with his crew uh, there's really no reason why that car shouldn't be four or five spots higher in the points um, and, and I do believe they'll get there. I mean, obviously, we have six races before the countdown, so you can solve a lot of problems in six races. But at the same time, you know, in three weeks, we'll be down to three races before the countdown. So uh, I, I would say Antron, and the time is now. And, and, I, and to your point, when that window begins to shrink, and I think this is what makes it fascinating, he has 402 points right now. Austin Proc, who's fifth, has 513, and Proc will be showing up to the rest of these races. So in order for him to crack the top five, the guy's going to have to go on some some almost a historic run, like sweeping the entire swing. And, and Tony, I pose the same question to you. Who needs it worse, Antron or Tony? I'm going to agree with Kevin. It's going to be Antron Brown. Uh, and the reason for that is, you know, this is really, we're talking about the same team that we've seen on the track for the last, you know, five years. This is the same team, same personnel that won three championships together. Um, you know, Antron, while he now signs the checks, um, you know, he didn't build the team from the ground up. I mean, this nothing really changed other than, you know, the guy driving the company. I mean, he inherited, uh, unlike, you know, a lot like Tony Stewart and Matt Hagen. I mean, they... They just there's an ownership change, yeah. but it's the same team, and I think that Antron is probably feeling some of that pressure. But and that's natural. I mean, that's, I'm not saying that is a bad thing, um, you know. But the expectations for companies uh, are the same as the team owner. It's it's like at what point are you guys going to turn this around and and get back to winning? Because when a company invests in a driver, in a person, in an individual, they do that because they see the potential. They've seen it on the racetrack with Antron. He's got a great personality. He's won a lot of races. He's won championships. And, you know, they want a piece of that action, too. So, uh, you know, Tony Schumacher, there's still relatively, a, you know, a new team because they, um, 
you know, it's Tony Schumacher with a different tuner, but uh, I, I see that I, I see the momentum swinging for that team a little bit. I think what they did at the last race, you know, Todd, he he wasn't there for the one qualifying run. He had, uh, you know, he was sent to the hospital. He had the vertigo, and then he came back. And you know, they put out a pretty good showing, even though they got bounced out of competition pretty early. So, um, yeah, I think there's pressure on everyone, but I, I'm pretty sure with Antron, uh, he realizes that they've really got to, you know. They've got to provide some results soon. I'm not saying any, you know, there's no sponsorship in Jeopardy. I don't know. Right. I'm just saying as an outsider, my observation is, uh, like Kevin said, I'm sure the expectations were more. They're not in the top ten, and and they're going to get the again in the countdown because they've been they've been competing. They're yes. going to get the uh, what do they call it the the participation award, right? <laughs> but you want to be in that top ten. I, I think it does a lot for a team for a driver mentally. So I'm sure they're thinking the same thing. Well, gentlemen, thank you as always for your time. Great way to set up uh, this Denver race, which promises to uh, to be pretty excellent. We have uh, two qualifying sessions Friday, two qualifying sessions Saturday in a typical fashion. The qualifying sessions will be happening later in the day. That Things always get going later in the day in Denver. So especially on Friday night, um, which will be run basically at the, by the time the fuel cars get on the racetrack on Friday night, it'll probably be around 8, 30, 9 o'clock. So it'll have uh, it seemingly will have the best conditions they'll see all weekend to try to go fast up there and going to be fun to watch see how everybody deals with it so both tony and kevin thank you very much thank you guys see you soon certainly fun to chat with both tony and kevin as we get ready for our western swing action this weekend uh, in denver we have broadcast on friday saturday and sunday this week so make sure you check your local listings qualifying of course being handled on fs1 and our western swing broadcast all will be on your local Fox affiliate on the Fox Broadcast Network. So you can check your local airtimes for when those shows will air, but it will be Sunday afternoon across the nation. We'll bring you all the action from these Dodge Power Brokers NHRA Mile High Nationals. Been a couple weeks off, been a good time to rest up and get our batteries charged because it is going to be a heck of a charge over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again before the quick turn between Denver and Sonoma on the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening.